in the name of Jesus, dear friends in Christ. Well, first of all, I hope you had a merry and most blessed Christmas. And now we find ourselves a few days away from the new year, four days away from the start of 2015. And for some of us, the new year may bring about a sense of excitement, a sense of optimism, anticipation for the new year and what may come by God's grace. Because we have plans, we have hopes, we have dreams, we have prayers, again, all by the grace and leading of God, of what the new year might bring for us. Maybe in a relationship. Maybe what the new year means for us at school or on the work or the career front. What it means in our health life, perhaps, or the health and welfare of others that we love. Maybe even what the next year will bring in our walk with Jesus. Um, But yet also the start of a new year can bring about some uncertainty. Sometimes there's the fear of the unknown. We watch the news. We know the times that we live in and the society that we're a part of. And maybe, quite honestly, we're dealing with some things at this point in our life that seemingly the turning of the page of a few days of the calendar in the next few days to go from 2014 to 2015 might not seem like it's going to make a big deal, a big difference. And maybe we have some fear and trepidation even regarding what the next year will bring. Maybe we sense we're going to have one of those decisions at the fork of the road type of dilemmas in our career, our work life. Or we may have to make a very tough love decision for the welfare, physical, spiritual, or otherwise, of a loved one. I was in one of the local stores yesterday shopping. I was standing in the checkout lane behind a a married couple. And uh, they were talking loud, so I wasn't eavesdropping, okay? (laughs) It was none of you. But it was an interesting conversation. You couldn't help but hear. And the husband, you know, said to his wife at one point, You know, honey, the way I've been eating... For the last 30 days, I'm already 90 days ahead of my calories for the next year, and 2015 hasn't even started. I thought it was a little TMI. And then she retorted back. She said, well, dear, when you see the credit card bills hit next month, you're going to see we're 90 days behind already on the finances for the year. And maybe sometimes at this time of the year between Christmas, and we're still in the Christmas season, of course, and New Year, maybe we feel that way. But I think the time between Christmas and New Year's is a wonderful opportunity as the days of this year start to wind down to look back over the past year and to look ahead in the next 365 days to come in anticipation of what the Lord has in store for us. And as I mentioned earlier, we're only a couple days away from January, as hard as that may seem. And I like the meaning of the word January. January comes from a Latin root word janua, which means literally a door or a window that looks both back and looks forward. Or in other words, it's a door or window that looks both ways. And I think that's a great meaning as we approach the first month of the year. Because in this time sandwiched between Christmas and New Year's, it's a great opportunity for us as Christians to, yes, look back over this past year through the prism of God's love and grace and mercy and his forgiveness over those things that from our point of view went well, the joys, the successes, the blessings, as well as through those same lenses of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, those things over the past year that didn't go according to plan, that were struggles, that were some times in the valley. Because through it all, through the blessings and joys, as well as the struggles and some of the disappointments, it has all been this year under God's provision and his love and his care. And even if we're dealing with some things this very Christmas season, that may be rather tough 
or some of our loved ones are dealing with some issues that are rather tough, we can look ahead and know that in the coming year, we're under the loving arm and care of our Lord. And I don't know about you, but I think for each day as I grow older, I think I start to understand a little bit better in my very limited, finite human mind that each day is only and all by God's grace. And isn't that true for us? It is all by God's grace. And I was reading one of my favorite Christian authors this week, Leonard Sweet, and he wrote this, and it struck me. He said that in all the gospel accounts, you never once find the disciples catching any fish, not even one fish, without the help of Jesus. And I think that underscores a very important truth in our life as we move forward. It's all by the grace and power of our Lord. In our Old Testament reading for today, from Isaiah chapter 63, beginning with verse 7, Isaiah describes the changes that the promised Messiah would bring to God's people. And Isaiah records, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, according to his compassion and his many kindnesses. And if we'd skip the slide ahead to the end of verse 9, in his love and mercy, he redeemed them. And I hope and pray as we look back over this year, as the days start to wind down this week, that we can all say a resounding amen and yes to these words, to this prayer of Isaiah. As we look back over the year, even if 2014 was a rough year, or even if we reflect the coming week and we say, you know, this has been a pretty good year. I think we've all endured tough aspects in different realms of our life. Maybe it was a difficulty in a relationship. Maybe it was a tough transition to a new school and friends at a new school. Maybe it's some unexpected obstacles in our work life, in our career path. Maybe it's a death of a loved one, uh, an unexpected health challenge for us, or a dear loved one. Or maybe even with our walk with the Lord, there were times this year we sort of doubted his love and his presence in our lives. But as followers of our Lord, we know in many places in Scripture it tells us that we can rely on that God-given faith. And as Nehemiah wrote in the 8th chapter, 10th verse of his Old Testament work, indeed the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's the confidence we can walk into in this new year. Because it was just three days ago we celebrated on Christmas the good news of the birth of Jesus, God incarnate, God being faithful to that promise he made to Adam and Eve in the garden to send his son into this world to live that perfect life that each day we realize you and I can't do and to suffer and die the death that we deserve on the cross and to rise again so that all believe in him may have life eternal with him. And we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, each day walk in the truth and the joy of knowing that love and that salvation. And we can celebrate each day what it means for Jesus to come and to come into this world God incarnate. And yet, as we look ahead in the next couple days toward the new year, a lot of the focus in our pop culture is going to be on New Year's Eve and New Year's. As a matter of fact, New Year's Eve is the most celebrated holiday in the world. And if you think about it, it makes sense, doesn't it? And it's a time where many people will make resolutions and other well-intentioned, heartfelt desires for change and new direction in their lives. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was reading this week that only 45% of Americans supposedly will make New Year's resolutions this year. If that's true, it still means millions of us as Americans will. And they'll be across a variety of different walks and areas of our life. Now, I would imagine the most popular, the number one area for us to make a resolution for the new year is in what area? 
What would you say? Be fitness and weight. I see some people rub, rubbing their stomachs, okay? And it's a very, or they're hungry. It's, it's a very common one where we may decide, well, for this coming year, I'm going to lose weight by cutting back on carbs or fats or calories or cutting out ice cream or something along those lines in some combination with working out more buying a gym membership, or using the gym membership that we have. Other of us may make well-intentioned resolves to clean up our language that we use, spend less time on Facebook, post less things on Instagram, maybe read through the Bible in a year as a challenge, be nicer to the cat or to our mother-in-law. All good intention things. But the following is a list of resolutions from one of my fellow pastor friends, a Lutheran pastor, and he calls them the seven ups for 2015. Resolutions for changed attitudes and actions. And they're they're pretty pithy. I'll go through them quickly. First one is to wake up. It's always a good thing to say about this part of the sermon. (laughs) Wake up. Now, each day is a day that the Lord has given us. It's a gift. Begin the day with the Lord. Psalm 118 says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I don't know about you, but there's not every single day I wake up first thing and say, wow, this is a great day, a gift. Many days I will. But I think we all struggle with some days. Each day of life is a gift. Let's remember that. First one, wake up. Number two is to dress up. Now, this isn't where you nudge the person next to you. You sure wore a different shirt. But it speaks of our attitude. What comes out of our mouth reflects what's on our heart. Put a smile on our face. We love the Lord. Number three is to shut up. Now, please don't take it out of context. That Pastor Tim said, in sermon, you shut up. Because <laughs> it's really directed to all of us. Because sometimes we all talk more than we listen. Uh, we struggle with the issue of gossip. We struggle with issues with the Eighth Commandment. Uh, the old Irish proverb says this, God gave us two ears and one mouth. And if he gave us two ears and one mouth, maybe we should do twice as much listening as speaking, to be proactive listeners. Number four is to stand up, to take a stand by the power of the Holy Spirit, to resist evil, do good, seek the Spirit's guidance as we live out this life we're called to do and be. Number five is to look up, look up to the heavens, ask the Lord to open our eyes. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. As the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 records, that we may fix our eyes on Jesus. Number six is to reach up, to spend intentional time in conversation with our Lord in prayer. Lifting our adorations, our praises, our confessions, our struggles, our expressions of joy and thanksgiving. And finally, number seven is to lift up, to be more available to help those in need. A life of serving and sharing and supporting. Because no matter how much the world will beat this into our head all the time, This world and this life is not all about us. Now, if we're going to make any New Year's resolutions this year, perhaps these 7-Ups would be a great place to start. But why would we bother to make a resolution to set new directions for the coming year? Maybe that realistically a lot of those we won't keep. I read this week that only 8% of Americans will even follow through and keep one resolution for the year. Well, I think it's because most of us do desire to have some change, some improvement in one or more areas of our life. And I think the beginning of the year is a natural time to do it. We may want to improve physically through some combination of diet and exercise or to grow emotionally so we can be more effective 
in our relationships, to grow intellectually, to grow hopefully spiritually in our walk with Jesus. And as we look ahead for the new year, I think we can seek guidance from God's Word. He can help us set our priorities, the direction for the year to come. Because when we wrestle with our priorities, we're starting to grapple with what really matters in life. And I think our gospel text for today, from Matthew chapter 2, about the Magi, the wise men, can give us some guidance and some direction. As I read through this text again, please look for clues that could be possible directions for this new year. Matthew records, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search. For the child, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Pastor Dave talked about the Magi, the wise men, in his message on Christmas Eve and their origins and so forth. We don't really know how many wise men there were, do we? We typically think of how many wise men? Three, three gifts, but Scripture doesn't specify. Uh, we know there's more than one because the plural is used in the text. Some scholars feel there may have been many magi or wise men, given the distance they would have had to travel, the dangerous and arduous conditions that they would have incurred, the robbers that would have been laden throughout much of the countryside. But it doesn't really matter how many. They came, and they were on their journey. And I believe that they can provide us with direction for this coming year, as they were faithful in following that star. Three priorities, three directions that we can glean from these magi. Direction number one is to study and to be involved and grow in God's word. Matt was a three and a half year old boy who was in the back seat of his dad's car uh, one day riding home from school and he was eating his snack. He was eating his apple and as he was eating his apple he asked uh, his dad a question. He said, Daddy, why does the apple turn brown after a while? And the dad replied, he said, well son, as your teeth puncture that red waxy, shiny exterior, the interior or the core, the meat of the apple, is exposed to air. And that commences a process known as oxidation. And when oxidation takes place, three and a half year old, oxidation takes place, this will bring about a molecular structural change resulting in the corresponding change in color to the apple. Matt was silent for a minute and he said, hey dad, are you talking to me? And sometimes we may feel that when we think of the Bible, we think of parts of Scripture or the Old Testament we're not as familiar with. It's clearly, that dad's explanation of that apple was a little over the head of the boy. 
But in Scripture, all of Scripture is a roadmap to Christ. And when we dig into the Old Testament, even parts of the Old Testament we may not be as familiar with, we see it all points to Jesus. Uh, Pastor Dave's class that will be starting January 14th is going to explore those prophecies of the Old Testament that all point to the Messiah. Because hundreds of years before the King of the Jews was born in the manger in Bethlehem, Scripture in the Old Testament is foretelling that God would send his Son in that way. Um, All of the Bible is a roadmap to Christ. As I've been mentioning in my Thursday night um, Crossways Divine Drama class, over the past three and a half months, we've been looking at the Old Testament storyline. And we've mentioned in there, and I referenced in my last sermon too, there's over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that all point to the coming of Jesus and are fulfilled perfectly in that first coming, in that birth, in that incarnation of our Lord and Savior as his subsequent life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Martin Luther said this. He said, the Bible is the cradle that brings us Jesus of Nazareth. When we're in God's word, we encounter our Lord because it was God who provided that star, God who provided that prophecy, God who provided that place where his son would be found by the wise men, worshiped and adored. God's word still provides lasting guidance and direction for our lives for 2015 and beyond. And if it's been a while since maybe we've regularly been in God's Word, and sometimes all of us go through an ebb and flow of being in the Word more at times than others, there's many ways we can embrace this first priority, this first directive for the new year. For example, at our church we offer a wide variety of Bible studies, group studies, variety of topics and formats and teaching styles and duration of courses as well as days and nights of the week that they begin. And as we heard in the announcements today, we got a couple new studies starting in January. And if that is something that maybe you're interested in, we can help you get hooked up with that. Or maybe you'd be interested in a small group study. Talk to an elder, talk to a pastor. We could explore that more with you. Um, As I mentioned earlier in my message, sometimes we may make a resolve that we're going to read through the Bible in a year. That is a great goal. It can be accomplished in many ways. You can start with Genesis 1 and work your way through the 66 books of the Bible. Or there's different plans out there which breaks it up in chunks and different themes. Again, we'd be able to help you with that. I'd like to throw out the challenge, this challenge to all of us. Because I was challenged with this a couple years ago. I mentioned earlier in my message about January coming, and it's coming fast. January, as we know, is 31 days. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There's 31 Proverbs. Maybe try to read a proverb a day, each and every one of us. January 1, read Proverbs 1 and go right down the line, and maybe see not if at the end of next month or the middle of next month, if we're not experiencing a deeper presence of our Lord as he imparts his wisdom and knowledge to live out our lives through his word. The Proverbs alone are packed with so much wisdom and guidance. Directive number one, we glean from the wise men, be in God's word. Directive or priority resolution number two is to be in worship. The wise men were on a mission. They were men that could not be denied. They were going to seek out and worship that baby Jesus. And for those of us as Christians, God is number one in our lives, right? Amen? And we are called to give him all worship and honor and glory. And our text says it so clear, Matthew 2, 2. Their purpose in finding Jesus was to worship him. They were on a quest. Have you ever been on a quest for something and you weren't going to stop 
till you got it accomplished. Maybe it was for a pregnant wife, and she at 2 a.m. is craving a certain flavor of ice cream or a certain type of pickle. Or in my house, I was having the 2 a.m. sympathy craving for pizza, and Laura had to get No, no I'm just kidding. But we weren't going to stop till we get that flavor of ice cream or pickle. Or, you know, you're taking your family on a car trip, and it's multiple state trips, so they're going to be in the car for a while. And you're going to that historical destination or that amusement park. And along the way, you want to get off the beaten path because you remember years ago, there was a little shop or a diner that you think would really be neat for the family to experience. And everybody else in the car is not as excited about it. They just want to get to Disneyland. They just want to get to Williamsburg or wherever you're going. But you're not going to stop till you at least find it or you know it doesn't exist. And that's the kind of desire that the wise men had in their heart. That burning desire men on a mission to find that baby and to worship him. And God wants to create, too, a greater sense of that love in our hearts to worship him. Because we come into worship, we give him all praise, glory, and honor. The wise men could not be denied. And scripture says when they came into the house, they bowed down and they worshiped the baby king. When we worship, we express our love to God. Worshiping Jesus was a priority for these magi. And as we enter into the house of the Lord, as we love our Lord, it is a way for us to express our love for our awesome God and also give him all our worship, honor, and praise. Because God wants us for this coming year and beyond to make worship a priority. That worship is more important than soccer. That worship is more important than stocks. That worship is more important than shopping. That worship is more important than sleeping in. It's worshiping our awesome God. Priority directive number three is that we would offer, that we would give gifts that reflect the worth of God. The wise men, when they came to Jesus, they first worshipped him. Then they gave their gifts. The worship and the gifts was a natural outflow of what was coming from their heart. It was an attitude of joy. Our text says that when the wise men saw the star in the east, they were overcome with exceeding joy. One of the great stories, I think, to come out of the news over the past decade came out of an event that happened 10 years ago to the weekend, almost 10 years ago to the date. If you remember the 2004 Great Indian Ocean earthquake, you remember that happening? Again, right after Christmas a decade ago. And it spawned many subsequent um, after effects and tsunamis, especially in the southern hemisphere, Indian Ocean part of the world. And it's a true story. A, A single mother in Australia was looking out her window. Uh, She had a five-year-old and a two-year-old son. Like a lot of other people on the coast, there was not much warning. She saw this wave coming. So she quickly grabbed her two boys and went to the highest ground in her house. And with her one arm, she grabbed a pole. And then she realized she only had one other arm free, and there's no way she could hang on to both boys. Can you imagine the choice? Who does she hang on to, the five-year-old or the two-year-old? Who lives, who dies? Cannot imagine a more excruciating decision that a parent would have to make. In a split second that she had to decide before the water would come, she decided to hang on to the two-year-old and let go of the five-year-old, reasoning that of the two children, if they had a better chance to survive, it would be the oldest. Well, the water hit. And the mother and the two-year-old boy survived. As did the five-year-old as well. Because when the water swept him out, he was able a couple hundred feet out to grab a hold of a tree branch, climb to the top of the tree, and hang on to the water subsiding. It's an incredible 
miraculous story coming out of a tremendous natural disaster. But what we have at play at this season in Scripture, in our text, is a more incredible, a more miraculous story of something of greater proportion and significance than even the greatest tsunami. Because God, in a sense, faced the similar dilemma as that Australian single mother. Who lives and who dies? You and me. The crown of his creation. He loves us so much. But yet we'd sin. Part of a fallen world and the wages of sin is death. You and me or his son. You and me or his only son. His perfect son. And God in his grace and his mercy and his love chose you and he chose me. And that's what we've been celebrating the past few days and continue to celebrate. That God sent his only son into the world in the most humble of origins. Again, to live that perfect life you and I can't live. Suffer and die the death we deserve and rise again. That all who believe in him shall have life eternal with him. Praise be to God. And from our own giving this Christmas season, and that's what this season is all about, I think we recognize that the gift is not nearly as important as the motivation behind it and the joy associated with it, and the joy that it brings. What we offer in our lives is a gift, is a response to God's love and the worth that we place on him. The wise men did not bring their gifts to wow baby Jesus, to impress or knock the socks off Mary and Joseph with their knowledge or their standing in society or anything else, but rather it was a heartfelt response of worship. In other words, it was a matter of the heart. And they were not your typical baby shower gifts of yesterday or today. But they were gifts of great meaning, as I talked to with the kids in the message today. The first gift that Scripture records is the gift of gold. It is a gift for royalty, for a king. And it signifies this baby is the king of Jews, the king of kings, king of our life. And then the gift of frankincense, again, a gift for a god that would be burned as a fragrant offering that would ascend to the heavens, that this baby is more than just the king. He is God. And the gift of myrrh, the gift of burial, that even at this exciting time where God is fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament, this baby in the manger is going to grow up. and He's going to die. And he's going to conquer sin, death, and the power of the devil for you and for me. And as we approach 2015 the end of this Christmas season, as we look for direction for a new year, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's embrace the three priorities that we can find from the wise men. Number one, to be in God's word each day and by the power of the Holy Spirit, grow in our knowledge and understanding and grace and application of that word. Number two, to make worship a joyful, regular priority. And three, to acknowledge that God is the maker and owner of everything and all that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures, our life, our resources, our relationships, it's a trust from him. And we're called to be good stewards and good managers of those as we live out a life of love and service and response back to him. We're going to make other resolutions probably in the next couple days. Again, maybe about weight loss, exercise, language, or social media. And we may keep them for a couple months, a couple weeks, Maybe only a couple days. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's embrace the three directions that, directives that we can get from the wise men. Because indeed, that's what wise men and wise women do. In the name of Jesus, amen.